0: I'm Katherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Katherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Lair Torrent, author of The Practice of Love, Break Old Patterns, Rebuild Trust, and Create a Connection That Lasts. All too often, people in long-term relationships find themselves asking, isn't this just how it is for couples after a certain number of years? As a licensed marriage and family therapist, Leah Torrent has seen no shortage of couples who have resorted to practicing badly when left to their own devices. But he disagrees with the assumption that couples are destined to reach an expiration date. Instead, he insists that if we are willing to make our relationships a daily practice, not only can they last a lifetime, but they can continue to grow and thrive. He offers a much-needed wake-up call for anyone looking to dramatically improve their relationship and become a better version of themselves. He's a daily OM bestselling author and has been featured in NPR, Rolling Stone, and the New York Times. Welcome to the show, Lair. Nice to have you on.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, it's good to have you because I think a lot of people now are talking, and these are people I've had on my show, friends, colleagues, about that expiration date. Maybe we get married, we have to stay with somebody or the assumption is maybe we will have to stay with somebody for for 50 years because we live to be so long and don't want to do it. So there are expiration dates. Don't count on going the full run with somebody. Uh, You're saying Mm -hmm. kind of the opposite,
1: or are you? Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I think those expiration dates can come in a lot of forms, right? It doesn't have to be just uh, breaking up, death, or divorce. The expiration date on, I like you. Uh, I want to uh, be intimate with you on every level, though, you know, I want I want to communicate with you. There's there seems to be expiration dates that come into play for most couples who are, in my estimation, practicing badly.
0: All right, let's start with those couples who are practicing badly. And how, yeah, and how do you recognize, I mean, you're a therapist. Uh, how does one recognize that, hey, I want to be with this person. I want to stay with this person. But you know what? Something's not right. We are pract- What are we doing? I don't know if they can define it necessarily as practicing badly. What does that mean?
1: Well, it, it's not found in the top 10 reasons couples seek therapy or go to a counselor or break up, right? Those are all what I call very top of mind, um, symptomatic issues that, that we can point to. And on any Google search, you'll find those little articles. And um, they're interesting to the point that they are. But what I have found in my work and in my research, that there, that there are pieces that, that live below the surface, that, that we aren't being particularly mindful Um, We're not being aware of ourselves. We're focusing too much on what the other person is doing and not recognizing what we're thinking and feeling maybe first. We aren't looking at how we show up and noticing the part of ourselves, and this is a big one, the aspect of our personalities that's showing up to our relationships. That's where things often go badly, right? And then there's the narrative, the stories that we tell. Is that my sweetheart left the milk out again for the second time this week, or is it the no-account SOB that only thinks about themselves? We're also not looking at choosing. We tend to love the way we like to be loved, and and, and we we don't consider necessarily how this other person might need to be loved.
0: All right, give us an example of that one because you you're talking about first of all I just want to clarify you said the the top 10 reasons why people end up not being together or getting divorced like money sex affairs that kind of stuff yeah. this is not what we're talking about we're talking about no deeper than that maybe even unconscious yeah. so okay so yeah yeah give us an mm-hmm. example
1: you know, so you have someone who's coming in the door and they're saying, well, uh, we have communication problems. And when someone calls me, and that's pretty much like garden variety, why people call call into my office anyway and to most therapists like myself. And my response to that is, no, you don't. And they get a little flustered and kind of <laughs> angry with me for a second and go, uh, yeah, we do. We can't talk about the money, the sex, the kids, all the things. And I say it's not necessarily your communication. And, and, and the, the devices that you've tried have not worked, correct? The nonviolent communication, it works to the degree that it does and all of the things that we've learned in therapy school. What's really at play is parts, to use one of my practices, practice two. That the aspect of your personality that's showing up is a defended part of self. It's defending a little child in there. It's, it's defending you from the vulnerability of the love that you say you want and so we have to get to that. Once we get to that, then you can use the the, the communication device. But if you are in a part of yourself that is weaponized and, and angry or or looking for exits, um you're going to weaponize that that uh communication device. It's it, I like to say to when I'm giving lectures or talking to my couples, what I think I heard you say very very quickly says, "What the heck did you just say to me?" Um and so we have to look at these aspects of mindfulness and of parts of these practices that I offer in the book.
0: All right. Let's start with what you offer in the book. What do we do? We meet somebody. Let's just take, I keep going back to this. I always like examples. You meet somebody, you start dating yeah. them, uh, you like them, you're attracted to them, you have sex sure. with them, you're thinking about, okay, maybe marriage. Is, is At that point, we should be thinking about being mindful. I mean, it would seem to me that you want to start right from the beginning,
1: It's exactly right. Those couples that come to me earlier uh, always, always, always do better because these practices get entrenched early and first, right? So when a couple comes together, they are building a culture immediately. They're building a culture between them, and they're adding ingredients to this culture. And if you're doing it mindlessly, if you're just saying, well, you know, I saw people at home, my my family of origin, they kind of yelled at each other, so I guess we're going to yell at each other, Um you know we very, very quickly can unconsciously allow bad behavior and bad practices in where we're not being particularly mindful of ourselves. We're not looking at the part of ourselves that shows up, and we're not checking in with the stories that we're telling about our partner, right? and so that that's where the slide can come. And so, if I get people practicing early, then these then then they're just their habits are just better. The couples that come to me late, i say I say that their relationship is either in the i c u or they got two wheels in the ditch. <laughs> They're coming to me because their their habits are just off. They're bad. They're, their reactions to each other are not great. Um, and and life cycle events of, of having children and, you know, buying houses and, and the stresses that come with being a, a connected a partnership um, can make those practices go off the rails and create bad habits.
0: In the book, you have tangible exercises that one can actually do in order to... Mm-hmm. I'm using the word reframe their behaviors so that they don't wind up coming to you at the very end uh, of their
1: relationship.
0: So what are some of those exercises and how do you apply them to what we've been talking about in terms of mindfulness and being aware
1: Well, look, you know, the thing I tell people is I know you're busy. And the moment we start talking about home practice and that we're not going to just fix it inside the 50 minutes that you may purchase from me on any given week, you know, they let the eye rolling beginning. And so begin. it's like, oh man, so we have more to do in my already busy week. So I want to make these practices something that you don't necessarily have to schedule time with each other to do. You don't have to sequester the kids on screens. Um, These are things that Individually we can do so that we show up better to our partners. And so this book is really about getting two individuals to practice well. And so what I do is for mindfulness, I just assign three three minute breathing spaces every day, three times a day. Easy to remember, you set an alarm, so you stop, you push pause, you take a breath three times a day so that you begin to be more introspective about your thoughts and feelings. I get them doing mindful walks or mindful drives to work, take mindful showers. These things are already part of our day. I just ask you to begin to pay attention to your thoughts and feelings rather than go on autopilot. That's what the brain wants to do. And autopilot in a relationship can be the death knell. And so that's one of the mindful practices I offer because the, the toughest part about mindfulness is remembering to do it. And so if I get them practicing to be more mindful through their days as individuals, they can become more mindful at, with their partner and they can begin to de-escalate themselves. Now, the thing I ask them to do when they uh, are preparing for a difficult conversation, and I do this in the office and I have them do this at home, as I say, let's not think about necessarily the topic at hand or what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. I want you to know who shows up. Like discover what part of your personality is here using that mindfulness, uh, app or that, that mindfulness step, pay attention to like, notice what you're thinking and feeling So if you're, if you're angry and frustrated, let's know that there's probably a defended part of self here. Right. And is there a way for us to mindfully ask that part to step aside and bring a more, uh, the, the wiser, more compassionate self to the table? And as we practice to do that, people get better at it because they notice that they get traction with their partner. Things feel safer. We're actually moving the ball, as it were, in our relationship on these, these notoriously difficult topics of kids, sex, money, et cetera. With, with the narrative, I, asked, I sometimes what I'll do is I'll separate them and do two individual sessions, or I'll have them go home and with a, in a journal write down, like, what are these un- if you're unfiltered, what are the unfiltered narratives that you're, that you're telling yourself about your partner? And then we go through a process of, of reframing that. Um, okay. And so we begin to change our thoughts about our partners, right, which changes those stories and makes things more connective.
0: So unfiltered narratives. Let's talk about those. What are they?
1: Yeah. Well, I alluded to one earlier, right? Is that my sweetheart? They left the milk out again for the second time this week that's so tired from working so hard is there the no account SOB that only thinks about themselves unchecked we can very quickly especially after the dopamine blast of the new relationship wears off and you know that stress and things like that have gotten the better of us familiarity comes in and we get lazy and so we start just sort of saying things to ourselves if we're honest and so Classically, I'll have someone say, well, you know, no, never mind. I don't, I don't really mean that. And I'll stop them and I'll go, no, what were you about to say? And they like, no, I don't really think that about my partner. And I go, no, you do. You think it every day and you think it all the time. You just, when you were going to say it out loud, it sounded terrible. And they kind of laugh and they go, yeah, it's awful. You shouldn't think that about them. But left unchecked, we will tell some not so great stories about our partners because of stress and maybe we're frustrated. Um, and it's a really good plan to stop and push pause and from that narrative perspective to know that we prune our narratives. We we, uh, we deselect information that does not support our support, our, our prevailing narrative, and we, we keep information that does support our prevailing narrative. And so if, if things have happened and we have a prevailing narrative that that's the no-account SOB that only thinks about themselves, some of that may be true. A lot of it might not be. And in my experience, when I get couples to slow down, and really start looking at the stories they're telling. They can say very often that, barring toxic relationships and abuse, of course, that a lot of what they're saying is at the very least not totally fair, right? Yeah. It's not fair, and perhaps it's not particularly gracious. It's not, maybe it's not even kind. And what if we were to add some compassion and empathy and understanding to that narrative? The whole narrative changes it. Changes. And the beauty of that is, when my thoughts change, my feelings begin to change because the body and the brain are so linked.
0: So, in other words, you're it really involves rewiring the brain. I mean, of isn't, yeah? That's what happens. It rewires the brain, yeah. and you know, and those those narratives that you're talking about, well, they apply not only to couples but but to children. We lay these labels that we're talking about that you're talking about is that is uh, I think that's very common. And we have these narratives that we just act and react to all the time. So that mindfulness Mm -hmm. that you're talking about, I'm just kind of reiterating this, uh, stops that and and, and you... It begin a whole new process, and you have to keep practicing it. All the obviously. studies
1: support just what you're saying. Yeah. All the studies support exactly what you're saying, and you know, you, you look at that that rewiring that, that 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 Hebb's law that Hebbian principle neurons that that fire together end up wiring together. It's a really just a kind of a fancy way of saying that these are the things I think all the time out of habit. And so, mindfulness and coupled with narrative, and maybe even looking at the part of us that shows up, we can begin to uncouple. Um, those neurons. And so what mindfulness actually does is as those two neurons are getting ready to fire together and we're getting ready to have this thought and this feeling about this person, it goes, nope, stop, 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 stop. I don't want to do that anymore. That's not fair. That's not compassionate. I love this person. And we do that enough. Studies show eight short weeks um, of practice. Uh, We can begin to rewire our brain to your point.
0: Eight weeks is I mean, what if people have been together, or couples have been together for twenty years, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in eight weeks you're able to accomplish this?
1: Uh, I, well, yeah. eight weeks gets us practicing better, mm-hmm. and we start seeing you know traction. We start seeing perhaps new, um, uh, n- new things happening. Like the space between us starts getting safer. We start having those formerly uh, really difficult conversations that we've just left. In the closet, we don 't even talk about that anymore, suddenly we find room for them and an ability to to empathize and to to uh, be compassionate to each other, sure, but there is this thing called scar tissue that 's what I call it, and that 's what those twenty years probably of bad practice brings and that 's tough you know you think about a knee that's been banged up um, and it has scar tissue in there, like you can go to a doctor and maybe they can do some things to kind of get that scar tissue out of there, but that knee joint probably isn't going to work hundred percent. There's probably always going to be something there. Um, uh, it's going to be a little ouchy every so often. Mindfulness allows us to recognize what that is rather than to double down on those, those resentments and those frustrations to really work through them. Now, it does dove, all this dovetails on that last practice of personal responsibility. And, and the thing that I say to all my couples is if you're going to be in my practice and you're going to do this, you have to want to and you have to want to more than you want to win. You have to want to really badly with the person you're probably sleeping next to who's frustrated you for a long time. You've got to want this if you want to get through some of that scar tissue that can come with that 20 years.
0: So what do you do with couples where one of the uh, one half of the couple really wants to and the other one is really reluctant? How does that work? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a great question. It's a great question because it happens, right? And I had yes. this and it's n- I'm a pro-happiness and health therapist, not necessarily a pro-relationship therapist, oddly enough. Um, and so I had this couple come in, and they were a little bit older. Probably They were actually probably my age, but I thought they were older than me. Um, and I had them doing the practices. And we were working for some months together, and, and things were going well. And they were becoming more mindful. They were looking at the parts of themselves and they were checking in and reworking their narratives and they were trying to choose each other and love each other the way each one of them needed to be loved. And finally, one day they came in and like the energy between them was just sideways. And I was like, oh man, what happened? Um, You know, but um, sometimes we regress. And so I said, what's going on, guys? And she looks at him and she says, do you want to tell him or should I? And he said to me, he said, well, listen, you know, I'm getting a little tired of this. I said, what's that? he said, I'm just me. I don't want to be more mindful. I don't want to, you know, look at my narrative or my parts and I don't want, you know, choosing them. And I don't want it. I said, so you're telling me you don't want to take any responsibility for your, for how you're practicing with your wife. He's like, well, that's just me. And she looks at me and she says, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And I said, look, the one thing I promise you is information. And this is information. He's telling you that he doesn't want to do these things. Now you have two choices. You can stay and just rejigger your expectations to fit what he's willing to do or not willing to do. Or you can pack your stuff. Now, that's a harsh truth, but that's what we're facing. When you when you dig into this practice and these practices, information comes to the surface, and sometimes that's in, there are inconvenient truths in this work. And so if one person is essentially telling you, I don't wanna do these things, it's not worth it to me, it's to you know, it just doesn't really matter to me that much. I know how I feel about that as an individual in my own relationship if I heard that, but my answer is not everybody's. You can do what you need to do and what you want to do, but I would look at that. What did she decide to do? Say again, I'm sorry.
0: What did she decide to do? I mean, you gave her those two choices. If I'm totally honest,
1: I don't know. I want to
0: know what she chose.
1: I don't. I do too. I don't know. They never came back. They never came back.
0: That's a very well. It'd be interesting to find. Of course, I guess now you can't do that, but it would really be interesting to find out whether she stayed or she left, or he stayed or well, left. Well, as a
1: therapist, yeah. I, you know, I I want the reason I want to know is because I'm curious and I want to know, and that's no reason to call her. It's mm-hmm. if she needs me, I'm here, and she knows that I'm I'm always here. And for him too, if they if if they wanted to come back, um, but he was saying that he didn't want to practice anymore. He didn't want to put the he didn't want to put the work in. He just wanted her to. Um, uh you know accept him just the way he was and I'm I think that they had you know a couple of mortgages and some cars and some kids and she probably stayed. Yeah.
0: What about covid how has that affected not only your practice but in terms of the way people come to you and what the issues are different the same because it's created a whole different context for relationships.
1: You know, I just really feel like COVID asked us to stay under the same roof for what felt like an inordinate amount of time together, a time when we would normally have these daily breaks, I'll see in 12 to 13 hours. And what COVID did is it just sort of brought so much of what was already there to the surface. And so, you know, when it first hit, I wondered. what's going to happen to my practice? Like everybody asked, wondered what was going to happen to their work and your source of income. As it turns out, I needed to board up the windows. Skyrocketed, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, just right through the roof. Yeah. I mean, waiting list as long as your arm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think it's because it forced people, it it brought into stark relief the the issues and the problems that people were facing or not facing, as it were. Yeah.
0: Well, if you're stuck together, quarantined together, I mean, not surprising, right? So, no. And as you say, your practice is just—it's over the top. Uh, what's the prognosis? I mean, what? I mean, what's? Ha- I mean, just in terms of, I'm interested in statistics. People who stayed together, I mean, or, or as you say, it just un, it revealed all the stuff that they weren't dealing with. And um, mm. have people left or stayed, or you know? In terms of your own practice, so, so that's
1: that that's anecdotal, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and, and I think we saw after 9/11, at least in the New York area area, we saw you know a, a lot of you know nine months later, a lot of births. We saw a lot of weddings. We saw a lot of people exiting the city to start the life that they and and, and to have the love that they that they uh, um, that they that they weren't having. I think people doubled down on connection and. Um, you know, I think th- things like this that feel quite threatening can put into stark relief the things that are actually important. Um, you know, I-, I was talking with a man the other day. He said, you know, I'm going back to my old life and I don't like it. You know, I'm closer to my wife now through our work and I'm I'm a better dad and I, you know, I spend a lot, I make breakfast for my kids every day and I take them to school now and he said, you know, N- now I'm being asked to go back to that rat rat. I don't want to do it. And so people, I think... At least, and again, this is anecdotal from my. This is just a small cross section of one person's practice. What I've noticed is that people begin to understand a lot of what's really important, and when they've been willing to put the work and start to practice differently with their partners, um, they found a real connection with the with with this person. Now, that's not everybody, but uh, that's that's been the bell curve for me.
0: What about? You know, I I know there's a trend for people not to get married, for instance, to just be together as partners. Maybe I don't know if it gives one more. I mean, I've been with somebody for 30 years, not married, and was married Mm -hmm. for 20 years. So I've had both experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I, I think being with somebody for 30 years and not being married and having more options has been much easier. Not that I would recommend that, but, you know, I've had my kids and I went through all. So, it's different, I guess. But um, but it seems to be a trend, as I read about it, that, that people, either whether it's older people or younger people, but not making those kinds of commitments in terms of getting married. Does that affect mm-hmm. what we're talking about here?
1: As far as the, the practices in the book or what we were talking about as far as COVID and all of that? Right?
0: Well, I was thinking about the practices in the book uh, because... Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. See, it doesn't, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't matter. I always say, wow, you know, isn't that strange? It's kind of weird that we, I love this person. And I want to go get the government involved yeah. and make a, this contract. Now you can't <laughs> go anywhere. Gotcha. Um, I just, you know, I'm married, um, and happily so for, and I've been with the same person for 21 years and it's great. Um, But, you know, it's not for everyone, and people love each other. I mean, you've been with the same person for 30 years. My God, it's amazing. Um, And, you know, this is also, uh, I I work with um, not just heterosexual couples. I work with a lot of gay couples. Um, And for a long time, they couldn't get married. Uh, But that did not, that does not preclude them from practicing well. And so well, all my friends who were gay we and mayor- wanted to
0: get married, I said, "Good luck to you. You're like, <laughs> to be honest." And right. I have we've been screwing
1: of- it up just fine without yeah, you.
0: Yeah, I said, uh, I, I, "You're crazy," <laughs> but go ahead anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so my experience is, whether you have that contract with the government that says we we can't go anywhere or not, that doesn't really matter. Um, if we're committed to one another, these practices. Um, they, they, they don't rest on that at all on marriage.
0: Yeah. So it doesn't have anything to do with contracts and that kind of stuff and having to stay together. No, it has to do with
1: just. Well, no, I just I feel like this. I feel like that contract, and I mentioned it in the book. Yeah. It, it, it it's it's essentially it's like, so we've got this contract and we've got a mortgage and we've got a couple of cars. Maybe we've got some kids. I don't know. We've got all these things that tell my nervous system or essentially somewhere unconsciously that you're not going anywhere anytime soon. Like, it would be really hard for you to leave. And what that does is it, it sort of <laughs> brings in this sense of like, I got a few at-bats with you. Like, I got a number of chances. And so... We stop, we stop remembering that this person's heart that we we pursued and wanted so badly is a heart that we don't want to lose, right? Because because of familiarity and because of these things that tell us that you're going to be around for a while. And what that does is it bleeds the relationship of what I call reverence, right? We want to remember that this is a person that, that at one point, you know, I thought hung the moon and the stars, that everything that came out of her mouth was, was, was prose. And so... To do that, we have to kind of, you know, I think I think those things, if we're not conscious, if we're not mindful and aware, can, can bring in a, a, a type of familiarity that allows us to cut corners. We stop being full of care with this person, if you will.
0: Mindful and aware. Those are the, I guess that's the key, right? That's the key to mm-hmm. uh, kind of the overall umbrella for what we've been talking about. Anyway, we only have a couple minutes left. Um and I want to make sure people obviously know the title of the book, which is The Practice of Love, Break Old Patterns, Rebuild Trust and Create a Connection That Lasts. Lair Torrent is the author, he's the therapist. Um, so Lair, where can we go for more information about you? I guess you don't need anybody but you don't need any more clients, it doesn't sound like, but uh, <laughs>
1: The no, next. we're going to be, you know, selling books and doing workshops and, and lectures and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, people can find me at Lair Torrent Holistic Therapist on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. I also have uh, LairTorrent.com. Um, and the book can be found wherever uh, books are found, Barnes & Noble and Amazon and, and all and all those places.
0: So you do workshops. Are you doing workshops on Zoom or in person or both?
1: You know, that I've been doing workshops on Zoom. Um, I'm going back for the first time to the Low Country Mental Health Conference in Charleston, South Carolina uh, in June. I'll be live there. Um, if people want to come see me there, that's a great place. and You can get all your CEUs taken care of. And um, Gabor Mate is on the card. There's a lot of really great speakers on the card. So uh, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Leah Torrent, The Practice of Love
1: had a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.